This book is called God Gave Us Christmas. You have this book? I'm sure some of you have read this before. It's one of my favorites. Nice. All right, I'm going to read it. Mama, little cub asked one night, who invented Christmas? Was it Santa? No, Mama Bear said. God invented Christmas. God gave us Christmas. Is God more important than Santa? Oh, yes, much more important, Mama said with a smile. The next morning, little cub sleepily climbed into her lap. Can we go find Santa, Mama? He lives around here someplace, I think. Hmm, Santa is hard to find, said Mama. But we can go find God. God is everywhere. Yahoo, cried little cub. I didn't know we could find God. Oh, yes, Mama said, we can always find God. Little cub looked over her shoulder and whispered, can we leave them at home? Yes, Papa will watch the little ones. You and I can go alone. We will go find God? I will see how he gave us Christmas? Yes, little cub, you will see how God gave us Christmas. The next morning, little cub and mama filled their packs, kissed their family goodbye, and set off to find God and see how he gave them Christmas. They walked up to the top of one mountain and down the next and up another mountain where they set up camp. Little cub was so, so tired that she went right to sleep. But Mama nudged her while it was still dark. Mama, what, why are you waking me up? Because it's God, little cub. Come and see. What is that? Little cub asked in wonder as she watched the dancing lights in the sky. That is God at work, little cub. He sent his only son as a baby so that we would know light from dark. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is how God gave us Christmas. The next day they arrived at a huge lake. All at once with a mighty roar, a chunk of ice cut away from the cliff and fell into the sea. What is that? Little cub asked, covering her ears and leaning into mama. That is God, little cub. He's so powerful, he can command the water to freeze and the glacier to melt. He is mightier than any king on earth. And because he is all-powerful, he made Jesus king of all kings. But Jesus was just a baby. How could he be a king? All kings begin as babies. God knew we would need someone who could touch and see and smell Mama paused, Mama paused to sniff little cub's neck, making her giggle, to understand just how much he loved each of us. Mama awoke little cub again before the sun came up. She pointed to the east at a star that changed from green to red to green again and shot out into many points. Is that God again, little cub asked, rubbing her eyes? Yes, Jesus is called the bright morning star. He is always with us. And he first came when God gave us Christmas. But what about Santa? Little Cub asked. Did God give us Santa? Santa Claus reminds us about many good things, like generosity and care. But it is God and Jesus that we celebrate most come Christmas. 
we always want to thank God for giving us Christmas. On the way home, Mama stopped by a tiny flower peeking up from the hard, frozen ground. Oh, you are too early, little flower, she said. Little cub, Jesus, is like this flower, God in our world, living where you wouldn't expect him, surprising us. Christmas is a lot about surprises. Mm-hmm, like presents. Yes, Jesus is the best present of all. And God would have given us that present even if it was only for you. Only for me? Only for you, little cub. God gave you Christmas. Mama and little cub came upon a church glowing with warm life. Soft voices reached out to them singing. What are they singing, Mama? About the night God first gave us Christmas when Jesus was born. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. Appropriate day to be reading this book. Would Jesus have come for mean old Maggie the moose or grumpy old Frankie the fox? Little cub whispered. Well, that wasn't a whisper at all. Maggie, Frankie, any of us. Jesus is a present for everyone, grumpy or happy or mean or kind. God gave us all Christmas. Little cub was glad to be back at home that night in her cozy bed. Thank you for showing me God, Mama. There isn't anything I'd rather do, sweet child, she said with a kiss. Night, night. Little cub went to sleep and dreamed of bright stars and northern lights, of a king born as a tiny baby, angels singing over him, and woke up to Christmas. Yahoo, she cried. God gave us Christmas again. There is a moment in that story that I especially love that I want you to hold on to uh, as we head into this sermon. When they're walking home and they see this tiny flower peeking up from the hard frozen ground. Oh, you are too early, little flower, Mama Cub says. Little club, Jesus is like this flower, God in our world, living where you wouldn't expect him, surprising us. Christmas is a lot about surprises. Keep that in your heads as we go through this. Let's open up our time here in prayer. God, as we approach Christmas, as we are here celebrating your birth bring us back to the manger help us to see these familiar things with fresh eyes help us to recognize your great plan for us your love for us your mercy for us your closeness to us all shown through this baby boy born to be a king born to die for us help us to enter into this mystery not seeking to have it all figured out, not seeking to be all put together, but simply seeking to encounter you in a real and true way as we enter into Christmas. In your name, Jesus, amen. I, uh, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to attend a performance of Handel's Messiah by the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Uh, Handel's uh, Messiah is this significant piece. It was written about 300 years ago. It is one of the most commonly fully performed 
uh, oratorios, kind of like an opera, uh, that, are, that are still performed today. It is a beautiful, powerful piece of music, and it has become this Christmas piece that celebrates the coming of the Messiah. Uh, and for those of you who don't, aren't immediately familiar with Handel's Messiah, uh, the most well-known part of this, it kind of builds through the piece towards this ground mountaintop experience uh, of the Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's the one. Thank you, Wyatt. <laughs> uh, I, when, I, when I got tickets for this, I didn't pay especially close attention uh, to where it was. I just kind of assumed it was going to be at that Centennial Concert Hall where most of uh, the symphony performances are. But only a couple of days beforehand, I realized that we were actually going to be at a church, uh, at the Knox United Church downtown. Here's a picture. Uh, it's a heritage building in downtown Winnipeg. It's a beautiful church. It's well over 100 years old. Uh, and there were all sorts of good reasons, I think, to have the concert here. It's a breathtaking building with soaring ceilings and stone columns and perfect acoustics for a performance like this. Uh, compared to sort of the big Centennial Concert Hall, it's much more intimate, you're right, close to the performances. Uh, but probably the most significant reason to have it there uh, is because of this towering pipe organ that they have inside of that church, which is several stories high. I think there's a picture of it there. And you sort of lose the scale a little bit in the picture. So I wanted to circle just below there in the next picture. Uh, that's a nine-foot grand piano there at the bottom of this pipe organ. So it is this monstrous big instrument, and the organ features heavily throughout the performance of this Handel's Messiah. Uh, and it was just, a, I'm, I'm gonna use the word transcendent. It was a transcendent experience. And I know that for some of you, you maybe would rather go to the dentist than to sit and listen to an opera for two hours, but, but it, was a, it was a magical moment to be there. It was the first time that I had ever heard Handel's Messiah performed live. Uh, the way my dad would put it is he would say, it brings you into the throne room of God. It was an amazing thing. <laughs> but there was one moment in particular uh, that stuck out to me, that stood out to me in this performance. Very early on in Handel's Messiah, in fact, the first time a soloist sings, uh, it's a tenor who sings, it's a part for tenor, and it's a song called Comfort Ye My People. And it's text taken from the book of Isaiah. In fact, the whole of Handel's Messiah, the entire thing is simply scripture put to music. But this first piece, the first words that you hear spoken in this two-hour journey are this. Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I asked Dion if he could do it as a special member today. He declined. <laughs> but I have just a piece of it here uh, that I grabbed from a recording to, to show you, to give you a sense of the song. So we can play that now.
So I, I think Dion could have done it. Uh, but the video gives you a picture of, of their performance. And, and what I should note here about this Knox United Church is that it's a dying church. They average on any given Sunday morning about 30 attendees. They've opened their doors to many other groups coming in. They're now considered to be uh, an interfaith center in Winnipeg with groups from all different religions coming and meeting uh, in the building. It's basically a community center. And although the architecture is amazing, the actual church community there is a shadow of what it was a hundred years ago when that building was built. About ten years ago, lightning actually struck one of the turrets in the bell tower. It came crashing down. If you look at the bell tower, it looks like it's missing an ear because of a lightning strike that happened. And the carpet is fading, and the benches creak, and there are lights burned out. As beautiful as that building is, it's also a reminder that everything falls apart. And I sit here in this building with this history and this soaring tenor line echoing off the stone and the arched ceilings and this massive pipe organ and the noise leaking out of the building into downtown Winnipeg as he sings and I am transported into the throne room of God. And in the middle of this, I notice flashing red and blue lights through the stained glass windows, illuminating the angels and the saints there. One, then two, then three police cars drive past. Moments later, an ambulance siren goes off in the middle of the performance, and it grabbed a hold of me. These powerful, beautiful declarations of comfort spoken out into a world that is so deeply broken. The disconnect between the way things are and the way things ought to be. That's been talked about this morning already. This is one of those Sunday mornings that preaches a sermon before me before I ever even get up here. It's not just looking out at the world, right? We can look out in the world and see all sorts of discord and chaos and brokenness, but it's in our own homes. It's complicated. Christmas is a wonderful time. It's a time of joy and celebration, but it's also a time when some of our deepest hurts come to the surface, when the what-ifs and the what-could-have-beens and what-should-have-beens make themselves known. Christmas is the time when well-meaning aunts and uncles will ask you, hey, when are you finally going to bring someone home for the holidays? Or maybe, when are you going to start a family, not knowing that you've been trying for five years? Or were you reminded of all the stress and the tension that can exist within family relationships? And, and Christmas is the time when you feel sometimes most deeply the empty seats around a table from people who've left us too early. And so how do we square it up? How can we hold the promises that God gives us in the midst of our pain that is all around us and not have our heads explode? from the ways in which these things do not seem to fit together. Those of you who've been here for a few years, you know my story. My brother passed away just before Christmas, about six years ago. Christmas never arrives without mixed emotions for me. And I know that I'm not alone in that. But one of the things that has happened for me over the years, uh, in spite of, or maybe even because of, 
the complicated emotions around this time is that there are pieces of Christmas that I would have glossed over or maybe missed or not taken note of in the same way that have become a significant part of how I now experience this season. We've been walking through these Advent weeks speaking to hope and joy and peace and love uh, and Darren and Kendall, as they've walked us towards Christmas, they've already begun to open this up, this sort of sense that Christmas isn't simply about stuffing down pain or discomfort or ignoring the way that things don't line up or don't work. Darren spoke to the weariness of the world that we live in. Kendall spoke to the promise of peace on earth that just doesn't seem to be fulfilled in the world around us. Here's what I've come to understand. Christmas is not about putting a band-aid over these things or take some sort of a drug to numb the pain for a little bit. Christmas, true Christmas, is about engaging with these things directly. Because the Christmas story, in a unique and powerful way, doesn't shy away from that darkness, but it grapples with it. It's no accident that Christmas is positioned at this time of year. There's obviously debate about what time of year Jesus was actually born, most scholars would agree it probably wasn't December 25th. But here we stand, about to enter into the coldest, bitterest, most dangerous season of the year, in the darkest month of the year, where the sun barely seems to get above the horizon in the mornings before going into hiding before supper. This is the time that we choose to celebrate Christmas. Christmas isn't scared of a bit of mess or brokenness or darkness or lowliness, it enters into that space and it redefines it for us. The Luke 2 Christmas story, Carrie read a portion of that story, thank you Carrie, is deeply familiar to all of us. We hear it at services and family gatherings and Christmas specials every year. It's like a, a comfortable sweater or a cup of hot chocolate. Hearing, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that takes me back to my childhood, takes me back to sitting cross-legged on the floor in a full living room with my grandpa reading by the fire. But when we are so deeply familiar with something, there's always danger in losing the magic of it and the surprise of it. And over and over again, this story shocks us with how the miraculous, the most important, most significant miracle of all time bumps up against the humble and the lowly and the imperfect and, and the just plain wrong. These things crash together in surprising ways. The, the first sentence of this story is already a shock. The prophecies of the Old Testament pointed towards Bethlehem as the birthplace of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is from, Jesus' family is from Nazareth. Yeah, Jesus is from Nazareth. And so how are we going to get Jesus' family from Nazareth to Bethlehem in order to align with these prophecies? How is God going to accomplish it he's going to use the Roman Empire he's going to use the oppressive regime that has the Jews calling out for a Messiah Caesar himself is going to be the one that issues the decree that providentially guides Joseph and Mary to the place where they need to be for this time and when they arrive no room in the inn forced into a stable, placing the newborn child into a manger. And again, this 
gives you kind of warm fuzzies when you hear this story. It's a beautiful thing, but, but keep on allowing yourself to imagine the true sort of chaos and uncertainty and frustration of that moment. For those of you who have kids, imagine going into labor, having nowhere to go, ending up in a barn somewhere, and delivering this child on the straw-covered ground, and then having no other place to rest it but in a feeding trough. Don't let the fact that we know this story erase the shock of the situation. Then we come, the King of kings and Lord of lords, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, born in a barn. And then we go to the shepherds. And again, what, what a delightful, surprising moment. The angelic host shows up to proclaim the good news, not to kings or princes or royalty, not to priests, not in the synagogues, but to lowly, humble, outcast shepherds. Peace to men on whom his favor rests, the angels say. That's you guys. God favors you. It's ridiculous. It's a story that nobody would have written. In fact, C.S. Lewis has this to say about the story of Jesus. Reality, he says, reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. This is one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. It has offered us, if it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing that anyone could have made up. It has just that strange twist about it that real things have. And Mary, it says, I love this verse, one of my favorite Christmas verses, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And Christmas for me has become a time of pondering, a time of taking time to rest in and consider and meditate on all these mysteries and paradoxes, the, the holy and the lowly smashing together in ways that nobody could have predicted. And as you start to see it, you can see it all around you if you have your eyes open. It's what I felt in that moment as the prophetic words of Isaiah, the words of comfort for my people, says the Lord, were spoken over the chaos of a winter evening in downtown Winnipeg with sirens and emergencies and disruptions and brokenness, a voice in the wilderness crying comfort. It gives me what Darren talked about in that song, O Holy Night, a thrill of hope. It sends shivers up my spine. The miracle of Christmas, the hope and joy and peace and love of Christmas isn't some childish thing. It's not naive. It's battle-tested and earned through the pain that we've experienced. It's the ability to sit in the storm with our eyes on God with a peace that only he can give. It makes no sense at all, and yet it's the only rational thing that we have to cling to. Christmas does such a good job of capturing this. Not the, the commercialized, holly jolly Christmas, but the one that looks to God in a manger, to angels appearing to shepherds, to a, a Roman emperor making a decree that accidentally sets up the dominoes perfectly for what God wants to accomplish. Kendall talked about Bono and U2 uh, last week, singing about the frustration between the disconnect of the Christmas statement, Peace on Earth, and the world that we see around us. But Bono is the first, by far, from the first person to call that out in a Christmas song. 
Uh, Christmas music, if you listen, steps into that mystery, that tension, over and over again. It points to, like that children's book I read, a flower shooting up through the snow. Unreasonable, surprising hope that not only points to a brighter future, but to a God who is walking with us here and now, in this moment. I want to close out uh, by talking a bit about one of my favorite Christmas songs. This has unintentionally become a series about Christmas songs. It's, it's not how we planned this, but each of us have kind of grabbed onto different Christmas songs in order to sort of explore this idea. And I, of course, have already talked a bit about Handel's Messiah, but I want to close by talking about what I think is one of the most criminally underrated Christmas hymns, which is, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a poet, is the author of the original poem. Uh, he had six children, one of whom passed away as an infant. Uh, his wife passed away in a tragic accident in a fire. And Henry attempted to rescue her, was unable to, and suffered burns so severe that he was unable to attend his wife's own funeral. A couple of years after that, his oldest son, son snuck out of the house to go and join the civil war that was happening in the United States. As we arrived, he contracted typhoid and nearly died, came home to recover and then ran off to the war again only to be shot. Henry received a telegram saying he had been shot in the face. He had to sit with that for weeks until it turned out it was a miscommunication. He had been shot in the shoulder, missed paralysis by only inches, was brought home to recover. And as his son returned home, Longfellow, a 57-year-old widowed father of six children, the oldest of which had nearly been paralyzed in a war that the country was fighting against itself, he wrote a poem to try and capture the dissonance in his own heart as he looked at the world around him on Christmas Day. And this is what he said. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannons thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent, and made forlorn the households born, of peace on earth, goodwill to to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells. I'll get through it. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. Nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail 
the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Here is what Christmas means. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. He's here with us. Like a flower in the snow, like a voice singing in the wilderness, like a declaration of supernatural comfort for God's people over the sound of sirens, like the bells on Christmas Day ringing out against all odds, hope and joy and peace and life now spring up where we least expect it because God is with us and Christmas is full of surprises, full of gifts that reveal themselves in the most unexpected places if we're paying attention. And so my simple prayer for this Christmas is that we can ponder these things in our heart. Take time to rest in this story again. And whatever journey you are walking, may you be surprised by hope this season. Amen.